Welcome to Making the Lemonade with Abby Brown and Lottie Trick. A positive news podcast proving that when life gives you lemons, there's always an opportunity to make lemonade. So Lots, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Abigail, how are you? Good. Yes, not too bad. How's your week been? Um, yes, it has been uh, busy, but it has been fine, been productive. Yeah, how has yours been? Good. Yeah, same. Uh, a bit more rugby, as always. Um, enjoying the sunshine that is still currently here. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. I mean, yesterday we got all kinds of weathers. It was hailing, then it was raining, and then it was sunny. <laughs> Don't know where I was going. Where I was going. <laughs> We've really got into um, RuPaul's Drag Race over oh, the last strong. few weeks, which has really been keeping us going. I highly recommend it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I haven't, but I have heard that it was a, it was a new series, isn't it? The UK one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. We'll give it a little watch. Um, um, yeah. uh, you seen, just started Your Honour. Heard about it? Your Honour. Yeah, no, not Honour. There's an Honour on yeah, ITV. Seen that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, your honour is about like this guy that basically doesn't mean to, but hit and run situation. Um, and he, like, oh, panicked. has he got the guy from Breaking Bad in? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to, we're only on like episode two, I think. And they're basically like, he killed, but he he killed the person that's dad is like. This is a spoiler. Are you just. No, no, no. No, not spoiling it. <laughs> this isn't a spoiler. This all happens in episode one. So. Okay. He basically is like the, crime dude drug dude i'm not really sure who he is but he basically is like if he knows who it is he's basically gonna kill you kind of vibe and get away with it mm-hmm. so yeah so far so good oh okay that's interesting. <laughs> I'll, let you know. I'll let you know yeah oh, keep okay. us up to date with that thank you <laughs> so abby did you find any facts about coffee for us after I did. last week's episode and we spoke about the tipping point of coffee and obviously not having you don't want too many, but how many is is the tipping point? Um, so there's various different guidelines on the internet, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of guidelines say three to five, which is I think is actually what I said. I'm three just going to put it out there. Is a safe amount and can be part of a healthy diet. But, okay. but, 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 the Framingham study, you know, what I spoke about last <laughs> week. Yeah. Yeah saying having at least two cups a day has a 30% decrease in heart failure risk. So I don't know if that means that's the optimum, but that's just, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unsure. And then the Australian Centre of Precision Health in Adeline. Adeline? Adelaide. Huh? Adeline. Isn't that AM sound of music? Advice. Oh. Are you trying to say Adelaide? The Australian Centre of Precision Health in Adelaide says the tipping point is six cups of coffee. So, what? Yeah, but then also Australians love their coffee, don't they? So whether or not they're just like, wow. Well, oh, do they? Is that something that they're known for? Yeah, that's a thing. That's oh, a right. thing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like, most What well, it Australians sounds like, yeah. Coffee. Coffee drinkers. Yeah. <laughs> well, tipping point of six. So, yeah, I think three to five. I think you're, you're good. I'm struggling with that abs. I'm going to be honest. Five cups of coffee a day. Yeah. And I mean, you talk- stick to your three. Two, no. one. I'm, I'm, I'm one to two a day. Yeah. And if I have three post midday, well, game over. Yeah. You need decaf. 
I do. I do. And I've been ripped to shreds for that recently. Um, Although I've actually started drinking decaf of like an evening. Cause I, I really, I like the taste of coffee, but I'm like, Oh, I'm like, you know, you just fancy one at like an evening. No, literally decaf. never had that. Oh. Never had that. <laughs> Espresso martini. Yes. But a cup yeah, of coffee. Okay, fair. Fair. That's smart. That's very smart. Yeah. Well, it's cause it's been like, if I'm driving back and forth mm, actually in true. the evening, it's like placebo effect. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But it doesn't keep me up at night. Okay, so my first story for you today is is a, is a good one, obviously, because we are the Positive News <laughs> podcast. <laughs> However, it is um, shocking that it ever happened. So Baroness Grey Thompson, MP Sarah Champion and MP Tracy Crouch have been fighting for years to make it illegal for sports coaches to sleep and have relationships with young athletes. And on the 9th of March, their fighting was worth it. Now, firstly, what the hell? Like, absolutely. is it absolutely like, a thing? I read it on the Telegraph women's sports page. I thought, was illegal? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So then mm-hmm. it's like, anyway, but I guess also like, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on the US um, gymnastics when they all kind yes. of came out and stuff. So like, I guess it's a little bit oh, like fine. that and kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, making it illegal is kind of actually making sure it's nothing, that it doesn't happen again, but the fact it happened in the first place yeah did shock me um but anyway so in 2017 baroness gray thompson was asked to deliver a duty of care in sport review and it was around the time of survivors of barry bennell um who was a football coach and a pedophile and there's loads of like case obviously people came out and started speaking about it and basically helped drive crouch's own work on safeguarding so with Champion joining them, the three of them identified overturning a loophole in the Sexual Offence Act 2003, as it allowed sports coaches to have a sexual relationship with 16 and 17 year olds in their care for decades. The Ministry of Justice announced the police, crime, sentencing and court bills, which will put coaches and faith leaders on par with teachers, social workers and doctors when it comes to the position of trust law, finally having, making having sex with under 18s in their care illegal. which. It's huge. Um, and I uh, honestly, I still probably can tell by my voice. I still can't believe it wasn't yeah. in the law before. Absolutely. Um, but amazing that these three women have found that loophole and actually have managed to make it illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. So Gray Thompson said, it's huge. It's about resetting and reframing the sport and the responsibility of sport participants. The coach is in a position of power, of trust, and young people are being coerced into relationships. That's one of the reasons why my duty of care report recommended a sport abundsman because I don't think governing bodies are set up to deal with some of these issues. This is really important step forward. So last year, the BBC did an investigation and found more than 160 reported cases of sports coaches engaging in sexual activity with 16 or 17 year olds since their care in 2016. And they're obviously the only ones we know about. Mm. Um, So Champion says, changing the law in itself does nothing. Promoting the law is what actually changes culture and behaviour. Gray Thompson adds, I want governing bodies and sports to make sure the information filters down into clubs and that it's part of the coaching setup. You don't want people being broken by elite sport for all the young people who have 
more recently spoken out about the abuse in athletics and gymnastics. They're saying we're not going to accept this anymore. This legal change has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's massive. Um, Absolutely. And and like she says, like it is a really important step forwards, and there's still a long way to go. The fact that that is a loophole in in some way, and we're in 2021 for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a huge step in the right direction. So this story is um, about a f- quite a famous bird. So ready yourself, Abigail. Um, the world's oldest known wild bird at 70 years old hatched a new chick in a wildlife refuge in the North Pacific Ocean, the US Fish and Wildlife Service reveals this week. So wisdom, an albatross, was first identified by researchers in 1956 as part of a long-term research project that has identified more than 260,000 individual albatross since the late 1930s. They know her favourite nesting spot and they know she laid an egg late last November. Soon after, wisdom returned to the sea to forage and her mate took over incubation duties as albatross parents share incubation and feeding duties once the chick is hatched. So they're really um, blazing the trail for equality there. Um, So why is this a big deal? So there's still a huge amount to know about the species, including how long they can actually live for. So John Plisner, a US Fish and Wildlife Service biologist who studies albatross longevity, has said, we really have no idea. We also don't know if this is an exception. She's probably just the oldest one we know about. So they still don't know how long a normal lifespan of the albatross is. Since becoming the subject of great interest, wisdom has become an internet darling, both at home and abroad. In Hawaii, Leizan albatross known as Molly, Molly, apologies for poor um, pronunciation, turning me to Abigail, uh, holds a prominent place in indigenous culture as a symbol of God Lono, who represents rain and agriculture. Her fame has drawn attention to the perils facing seabirds and Leizan albatross in particular. Beth Flint, a wildlife biologist in Honolulu, said she's a bird with a lifespan comparable to a human. I think her greatest contribution is the interest she stimulates in folks. She's also drawing more people into the sciences. So fascinating stuff. Laying eggs at 70 years old and um, yeah, just continuing to thrive. So it'd be interesting to see how long they actually do last for. (laughs) 70 years? I mean... Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> so my next story is from Atlanta. Um, and they have created a free food forest on seven acres of land, which used to be a pecan farm in the Brown Mill neighbourhood. Um, so in this space, there's about 2,500 pesticide-free plants and mushrooms growing providing fruits, veg and nuts to the Brown Mills area. It is reported that in this area, one in three residents live in poverty, with the nearest grocery store being a 30-minute bus ride away. Um, so obviously if you can't get there as well, that's not ideal at all. Um, so food forests are low maintenance and have sustainable range- arrangements of edible plants that are designed to mimic the natural ecosystem. 
These plants don't need any weeding, fertilization or irrigation. And to date, there are 70 other free food forests that have been planted across the US, which I actually had no idea. Like I had no idea this even kind of existed. Mm -hmm. And then there's like so many over like the USA. Mm -hmm. um, so Atlanta's food forest started developing in 2016 when National Nonprofit Conservation Fund purchased the land. The project is part of the more recent city plan to bring healthy food within half a mile of 85% of its residents by 2022. The ownership of the land last year was transferred to the city and its department of parks and recreation managers and maintains the space along with a thousand volunteers. Grant funding from the US Department of Agriculture's Forest Services Community Forest Programme, <laughs> tongue twister, <laughs> Open Space Conservation, Trees Atlanta and the Conservation Fund has allowed the food forest to continue continue to exist and officials say it's been an invaluable tool that continues to build community foster relationships and teach residents about urban agriculture so when you're saying it's free can people go and just take the food yeah. wow yeah. so once it's grown then go in take what they need go back That's amazing healthy food obviously as well and <laughs> as opposed to those chocolate bars that you girl <laughs> <laughs> So my next story is a slightly London-centric um, one, so apologies in advance. Since lockdown, we may have realised that billboards aren't really filling up for obvious reasons. So Brotherhood Media, an ad agency, invited artists and musicians to submit designs that would help spread positivity. The Gorillas, Pet Shop Boys and Chrissy Hyde are among the artists who have contributed so far. The latest billboards in Shoreditch, Camden and Bethnal Green um, are artistic messages of positivity. Dominic Murphy from Brotherhood Media, which also designed its own ads thanking the NHS, said, the brief we gave was simply for positivity. It could be meaningful, abstract and amusing. The only rule was that it couldn't be selling anything. The agency has since committed to donating billboard sites that don't sell in future to positive causes. So this isn't the first time positive posters have been seen across the capital and beyond. Way back, if we cast our minds back to 2020, Be Kind and Let's Look Out for One Another was emblazoned on 560 billboards in vivid colours. Um, that was originally designed for London Community is Kindness, but it became a message to ease fears about the coronavirus pandemic as that struck. Carly Nyigen of Jack Arts, the agency which created and funded the campaign, said, we want to do something to help the community and keep spirits up. So the concept is not a new one. It's well recorded that when Britain prepared for World War II, the country took a similar approach, producing a series of three posters, including your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory and freedom is in peril defend it with your rights and one of the most famous keep calm and carry on were produced by the british government to raise the morale of the public um so yeah as we look ahead to the last few months hopefully of lockdown um we should be keeping calm and looking for better better days ahead carrying on yeah <laughs> So obviously International Women's Day the other week and so many stories out there, so many powerful, inspirational women doing their bit. Absolutely. Um, one of which 
was Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, who was appointed the next general director general of the World Trade Organization. She is the first African and the first woman to lead the body that governs the trade rules between nations. She was honoured with the position and added, strong WTO is vital if we are to recover fully and rapidly from the devastation brought by the COVID-19 pandemic. I look forward to working with members to shape and implement the policy responses we need to get the global economy going again. She is taking over an organisation which is facing a lot of challenges that have wobbled the WTO, such as the friction between the economic superpowers of the US and China. Biden-Harris administration shows strong support of her new title, saying that she is widely respected to her effective leadership and has proven experience managing a large international organisation with a do with a diverse membership. So I watched this interview online and in it she mentioned how proud she is to be representing Africans and how good it is being the first woman and how you have to be competent of delivering the goods. She then goes on to say, I'm focused on delivering and focused on getting results. So her post started on March 1st and it will last until 2025. So she's ready to make a difference. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Did you do anything else to celebrate um, International Women's Day, Abigail? Uh, didn't. I sent a few people a few texts. Just I have to say to me, you are embodying the whole message of International Women's Day. You are a role model and smashing glass ceilings and stereotypes and all that good stuff. So Aww. you're doing it every day, it has to be said. Well, it helps when you have good, strong women around you, such as yourself. <laughs> Oh and half of, our, half of our listenership are mothers. <laughs> I'm a queen of having bits of technology that don't completely work um, mm-hmm. and soldiering on because um, they can't quite be fixed because of manufacturing limitations, but they still work well enough that I can't bring myself to throw them away because I think it's wasteful. My phone is the most recent example. Um, which is driving everyone, including my housemates, slightly insane because I can't pick up calls. It's a whole thing. Don't get me started. However, it is a new phone. Okay, no? that's... <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. It's just a slippery slope. Um, <laughs> but there is um, a movement called Right to Repair, which may be making mine and millions of others' lives less of a headache and potentially a lot cheaper. So the global movement to make electronic goods easier to repair has had a win over the last month, resulting in a new EU law being put into place that means makers of washing machines, televisions and other electronic goods must ensure their products can be easily dismantled for repair. They also have to make spare parts available for at least seven years after models are discontinued. This is positive news for consumers who will be able to have old items fixed rather than having to fork out for brand new ones. And with the average European estimated to produce 16 kilograms of e-waste per year, the law is also potentially a win for the environment. Hugo Valori, co-founder of The Restart Project, a UK social enterprise that teaches people to repair electronics, said, not only does this provide a precedent for additional product categories to be included in future, but it's likely other regions will now be inspired to enact similar legislation, which has been seen. So more recently, following in the footsteps of the EU law, the UK government has now announced its own legislation to tackle so-called premature obsolescence in electrical goods, such as fridges, washing machines and TVs. 
This refers to the short lifespans which are built into appliances by manufacturers, meaning customers are forced to buy new ones sooner. The rules include a legal requirement for manufacturers to make spare parts available. The aim is to extend the lifespan of products by up to 10 years and cut carbon emissions from the manufacture of new goods as well as cutting wastes and saving people money. Hurrah! Hurrah, hurrah! <laughs> well, you need to get on that. <laughs> Do you remember the cyclone that hit Fiji in 2016? Remember um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was around, um, I really remember it because it was around like the Olympic time and there was mm-hmm. a massive story about it and how obviously like the Fijian men were obviously really worried and oh, yes. homes and stuff. Um, but then they still went on to like bring home a gold medal, which again, obviously is like super inspiring mm-hmm. um, and everyone to kind of witness. But so this cyclone destroyed and damaged 40,000 homes um, and also smashed through the reefs in its path. Um, cyclone Winston, it was called, caused $1.4 billion in damage and was the most destructive cyclone ever in the Pacific. However, four years on, the coral reefs in Fiji are once again teeming with fish and vibrant colours. And there's some lovely photos out there that I will be sending you. And mm-hmm. you know, and they don't look real and they kind of look like they're on Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. That's how it looks. It is really cool. Um, the director of the Wildlife Conservation Society, Fiji, said, I was surprised at how quick the recovery has been, especially at the Namina Reserve. Besides the abundance of young coral colonies in both protected areas, the team found fish had returned in significant numbers across all areas, even to parts of the reef where corals had not yet been replenished. Since 2016, the Wildlife Conservation Society has conducted three dive surveys to record the immediate destruction and see the reef's recovery and how quickly they recover. And although this is really great news and very promising, there are other coral reefs in rapid decline um, and actually not only vital for the ecosystem, but they're also to protect coastal areas against future storms, which I didn't actually realise about coral reefs and how Mm -hmm. they have an impact on that um but nonetheless super super positive and things are moving back in the right direction for the the fijian coral reefs so one of the most noticeable additions to our new normal has been the adoption of face masks these are essential to our day-to-day lives however french non-profit operation mer propre or Operation Clean Sea, whose activities include regularly picking up litter along Côte d'Azur or the French Riviera, began sounding the alarm late last year about the waste they're generating. Don't laugh at my French uh, accent, please, Abigail. If it was Spanish, we might have a better idea of what I'm saying. So, Laurence Lombard of uh, Operation Mare Prop, suggesting on his social media that soon we'll run the risk of having more masks than jellyfish in the Mediterranean. There is an easy alternative to this, as we know that these masks are essential, but there is an option to purchase reusable masks, um, which can be thrown in the washing machine or hand wash regularly. Abigail, do you have a reusable mask? I do, I have many reusable masks, actually. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, There is another alternative to reusable masks as well. So Marianne de Pons from the Netherlands, a graphic designer living and working in 
Utrecht has come up with something to ensure the end of Mask's life is having a positive impact on our environment by creating a 100% biodegradable mask containing flower seeds. Um, explain. Sorry, I sound like I was on sort of UVC then, didn't I? Um, <laughs> explaining the reason for the design, um, she said, all these years I have been working as a graphic designer. I have used so many resources from nature to be able to make my drawings, especially paper. So I wanted to give back to her. For weeks, I fell on blue disposable masks thrown on the streets and sidewalks. So I woke up one morning with the idea of a biodegradable face mask with a flower seeds on it. Thus, the earth remains happy. The bees, nature, people also happy. I am selling the mask with the name Mary E. Bloom and the world will flourish. Um, oh, lovely. So instead of rubber bands um, around maybe the ears i think they yeah. have soft cords uh, made of pure sheep sheep wool the flower seeds remain in the mask using special glue that is made from water and potato starch and in addition to all the other sustainable materials from the biodegradable mask even the logo is written in a special sustainable ink for best results these masks need to be buried in the garden or in a large pot we can of course throw them in the trash and they will decompose on their own in the landfill to which they will be transported and most likely they will not have the opportunity to turn into flowers, however they would biodegrade. Um, questions around how effective they are. So when looking oh, so into my this, next question. Oh my gosh. Look at that, you've come prepared. <laughs> <laughs> the face mask protects in the same way that a homemade fabric mask does. This means that they can be used in combination with another mask for greater protection. Um, however, they do do some degree of protection on their own. The material is rice paper and contains flower seeds that are even visible. Um, and is produced in a small workshop in the Netherlands. Oh, lovely. We go for like COVID tests before we go into camps and stuff. And they've got our, like separate gloves, like every single time they do a different person, mm-hmm, different gloves, mm-hmm. different. And it's just, yeah, it's a lot of wastage, isn't it? Which definitely is not ideal when we're trying to solve the global climate change. Sure. Totally necessary at the moment in hospitals, as you're saying, and in spaces where it's for sure that day-to-day use when you're popping to the supermarket is there other alternatives that we could be considering definitely and I think it's also a really good reminder for people to keep social distance I remember not now I think it's become so ingrained in us but maybe six months ago if I would pop out and you would kind of feel yourself drifting towards the land and you're like oh god no I've got to keep social distance so it's a really good visual reminder of you know, we're still in a pandemic. In case anyone's forgotten, we're yeah, sure people, <laughs> sure people mind. slipping to people's minds. <laughs> Sorry, I actually, a little bit. <laughs> you got to laugh. You got to laugh at something. Um, it does actually, a little bit off topic, but along the lines of reusable things. Mm. So my Instagram popped up about sanitary pads, mm. reusable sanitary pads. And you just pop them back in the washing machine. Mm. How do you feel about that? Never heard of them before. Really? Yeah, I don't know yet. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've never tried it, so... Mm-hmm. And I don't really use them, so I don't know. But it did, yeah. I thought, well, fair play. Mm-hmm. Didn't think that was happening, but yeah. 
It was used to be the norm, and I think they might be coming back into fashion. This is not comparable at all because uh, grown women are not babies, but no. nappies, reusable nappies used to be a real thing oh. that you would wash them, hand wash them, or put them in the machine. Like, again, I wasn't, I'm not expecting a baby, but I was in the aisle. <laughs> I was in a little co op and I was getting, it was close to like the jam okay, or something. So I don't know. Yeah, anyway, sure. we paused and I saw the nappies and they were so expensive. And I was like, wow, like, mm. so expensive. You don't get a lot in them. And obviously, you just throw them away every time, mm-hmm. which then again, isn't very good for the environment and you just think Mm -hmm. how many people are actually doing that Mm -hmm. on a mass scale is just yeah nuts so my last story is a very heartwarming one a five-year-old girl decides to put her tooth fairy money to good use this little girl has created 20 bags of love for homeless people with snacks toiletries and a letter to make them smile amaya thompson received £50 for having two teeth out pulled out by the dentist last month. £50? <laughs> I had to do a bit more reading so I was like, surely not. Like, I remember like, my tooth fairy, like forgetting about for about three days and the tooth still being there. <laughs> Abs poor form from that tooth yeah. fairy. Yeah. If I was lucky I'd get a pound, but you know, 50 quid. But I mean, she did have them pulled out, so. Inflation. You know. You're a But instead of spending the money on herself, she surprised her mother by wanting to give the money to the homeless. When her mother asked why she wanted to do this, she had said that she'd seen her mother give homeless people money and she also wanted to help out. Amaya also said that homeless people must be very cold as they don't have anywhere to live. And that's how the idea of bags of love came about. Each bag is a paper decorated bag and is packed with deodorant, dry shampoo, facial wipes, hand sanitizer, toothbrush and food, as well as a drawing and a letter from Amaya. Now this letter, this letter says, hello, hello to whoever is reading this letter. My name is Amaya, I am five years old, I live in Stevenage with mummy and I like butterflies, playing with my toys and making people happy. I lost two of my teeth and I was very lucky that the tooth fairy came and gave me some money. I didn't, didn't know what to spend all the money on because I'm a very lucky girl and have lots of love and toys. I decided to give my money to people who need it the most. So with my mummy help, mummy's help, I have made these little bags of love with some of the money that the two fairy left for me. I hope this bag makes you smile and makes you feel lucky and special. Lots of loves and hugs, Amaya. That's so sweet. sweet. (laughs) This little girl is really cute as well. (laughs) Um, And she donated all these bags to the local homeless charity feed up warm up and the response was amazing and she decided to set up a just giving page to obviously then make more bags and mm-hmm. thing she made over a thousand pounds in just 48 hours oh gosh. Yeah, i know and there's i looked this morning and they raised 2700 pounds wow and she also raised 500 oh. so yeah she's probably very busy making more bags um her mother said she's always been very kind-hearted that's how i've wanted to her to bring her up and she's aware that there are a lot of kids who don't get as much as she does she's the kind of child who would give you her last rollo even if you're a stranger she's so lovely and i'm so proud of her oh god i've come back to rollos i, I know, didn't even I know they were still a thing yeah i know i didn't either until i read that that's so not good. what the takeaway of the um, story should lovely. be 
That is not. lovely. <laughs> it's not, but... We should put the link to the Just Giving nice page story. in the old yes, show notes, for sure. We will. So thank you everyone again for listening. I hope you guys are enjoying it and getting a bit of your positivity kit. Um, don't forget to tell all your friends, subscribe, and yeah, we look forward to speaking and bringing some more positive news in a couple of weeks. Yep, thank you so much. Um, any stories or the Just Giving page we just mentioned will be in the show notes uh, for you to find out a little bit more or a lot more. We're definitely not the experts on these stories <laughs> or know how to say people's names or places, but we're giving it a go. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you very soon. See you later. Bye.